Open your Bible to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We're talking about the power to be witnesses. And last week, we talked about the promise of power. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Let's um, hold your place there and let's read again our, our text that we began in was in Luke chapter 24. Let's read together Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49. Luke twenty-four forty-six. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now turn over to the book of Acts. And let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Same writer, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds to your word this morning. That you would, by your spirit, God, heal us of blindness, heal us of deafness, Lord, heal us of the hardness of our hearts. We ask, God, that as you send your word forth today, that it would not return void. Let it accomplish what you sent it forth to do in our hearts and in our minds. And ultimately, in the world around us. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, the promise of power. Today, we're going to talk about the provision of power power to be witnesses. So Jesus made a promise of power. God doesn't make empty promises. So God doesn't make a promise that he does not keep, that he does not fulfill. Had God just promised power but did not provide the power, then that would be pretty pretty useless. A lot of people believe the Bible is a book that promises a lot of things declares a lot of things, but it's really just a collection of stories to help us live better lives. No, that's not what the Bible is. That's not what the Scripture is. The Scripture is not just a collection of stories to help us live better lives. It is the Word of the living God. It's not a word void of power. It is a word that is absolutely powerful. As a matter of fact, there's nothing more powerful than the Word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My Word will never pass away. It's Jesus, uh, when he said that, making this declaration of the eternal, powerful nature of his Word. Even Paul, the apostle, writes in, in, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, hey, prophecies will fail, tongues will fail, these gifts will pass away. But what, what was he inherently saying? These things will pass away, but love, love never fails. Well, well, what is love? Is that a warm, fuzzy feeling we get? No, that's not what love is. The Bible says God is love. God, the Word, love, became flesh and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. So the Word of God... The living and powerful Word of God will never pass away. And so the power to be witnesses, the promise of power, the provision of power. So we, last week we, we talked about the promise of the Father. So we just read in Luke chapter 24 that Jesus says, Go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of my Father. This was the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
This was the promise of power. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, the provision of power. We see the promise was made in Acts chapter 2. We see the promise is brought to pass. It's fulfilled. God actually provides what he promises. Acts chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. Actually, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 21, really record for us the provision of power that was fulfilled uh, in the promise that Jesus made. And so we're going to look in Acts. We're also going to go back into the Old Testament because Peter quotes from the prophet Joel. Now, just a side note here. As you read your Bible, especially as you read the New Testament, do you understand that the New Testament that you have is really commentary on the Old Testament scriptures? Do you know that Jesus didn't come? Jesus did not come and declare anything new. Jesus did not declare anything that was not already written and already declared in the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures spoke of him. The prophets spoke and it was written of him who was to come. When Jesus came, this is why he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. In Matthew uh, 11, Jesus says, for John prophesied, all the law and all the prophets prophesied until John, John the Baptist. Why? Because John was the forerunner. Malachi chapter, you read Malachi 3 and 4. This speaks of John the Baptist. So John came, he was the forerunner. He prepared the way. Isaiah said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This was John the Baptist. And he prepared the way for Jesus who was the fulfillment. He was the word made flesh who dwelt among us, John 1, 14. So Jesus didn't bring a new word. He was the word. He was the word made flesh. And so as you read the New Testament, as you read your Bible, a lot of Christians are, were guilty of reading the New Testament. We don't like to read the Old Testament because we think the Old Testament is that old book written for those old people back then, but it doesn't really have anything to do with me. But you need to understand that everything that is written in the New Testament comes from the Old Testament. You really should, as you read your New Testament, you really should look up those Old Testament references and see what the Old Testament declared about Jesus. See what the Old Testament declared about the church. See what the Old Testament declared about redemption. See what the Old Testament declares about us today. And so, don't don't just read half your Bible. Read all of the Word of God. We need the whole counsel of God. If you'll do that, you'll be safe from falling into to errors and things that a lot of people do because they only they take one little thing and they create a whole theology out of one doctrine. That is against what the Scripture teaches. We need the whole counsel of God. Amen? Now, that was free. It won't cost you anything. Okay? Acts chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and we're talking about the provision of power. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oftentimes, we stop right there. And we think that what we call the modern manifestation or the, in our charismatic Pentecostal churches... The speaking in tongues phenomenon that you often see in the church, we really need to understand what's taking place here on the day of Pentecost. Because this wasn't just a Shandai Shandai moment that they were having here. They were, that word tongues means languages. And you need to understand something. Why did it happen on the day of Pentecost? 
You think that was just a coincidence that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, something really powerful and strange happened? No, it wasn't a coincidence at all. So why the day of Pentecost? What was the day of Pentecost? What was significant about the day of Pentecost? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's, tw- it's 1130, and, and I'm not going to keep you here till 2 o'clock. So we're going to go slow because you need some background as we go through this. So we're going to take our time and go through this. So um, the day of Pentecost was one of seven feasts that were originally given to the nation of Israel. Okay? Three of those seven feasts, God required, this is the way he termed it, this is the way he, he, he told it to Moses. He said, on three of these feasts, I require that every male shall appear before me. Now, he's giving this to Moses while they're still in the wilderness, okay? When he's giving this to Moses, there is no, there is no city of Jerusalem that the Jews are living in because that's, that's over in the promised land. They haven't made it to the promised land yet. They're still wandering around 40 years in the wilderness. God's waiting for a generation to die so that he can allow the new generation to come in because the old guys, all but two of them, didn't believe God. And God says, okay, you don't believe me? You don't want to enter into the promised land? I'll just let you wander around for 40 years till you all die, and then all those that are born in the wilderness, then you'll go in. This is when Moses is receiving these instructions from God. So there isn't a city of Jerusalem right now at least not, not inhabited by the Jews. The Jebusites are living there, and it's not called Jerusalem. And so God tells Moses, he says, keep these feasts, and they are, they were the Passover, and in Passover there's a feast of unleavened bread, there's a feast of Passover, there's the feast of first fruits. All of those, Passover, Passover was a feast in which, in which every male, it was one of those feasts where they, they all came and appeared before the Lord, okay? Unleavened bread, Passover, first fruits, feast of trumpets, a day of Pentecost, trumpets, and atonement. Did I leave one out? Unleavened bread, Passover, first fruits, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Day of Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles. And Pentecost was one of those feasts in which every male was to appear before the Lord. And so that meant, and we're going to read this right now, that meant that Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem because they were required to come there by God. And here's what God told Moses. He said, I require that every male appear before me in the place which I have chosen for my name to dwell forever. He didn't say that, that every male appear before me in the city of Jerusalem. He said to Moses, I require that every male appear before me in the place which I have chosen for my name to dwell forever. That's kind of interesting. Now, ultimately, when the children of Israel go into the promised land, led by Joshua, they ultimately take the Jebusite stronghold and ultimately it becomes called the city of David. Why? Because, because David, well, there's a lot of reasons. David, upon his throne, there shall be a ruler, a king who shall set for a, David. My servant shall rule forever. Now, David's not literally going to rule forever, right? So David was symbolic of who? He was symbolic of Christ. 
the city of David, the place where David's throne was, where David ruled, it wasn't about David, it was about who? Who David was a type and a shadow of, who was Christ. Jerusalem, what is Jerusalem a type and a shadow of? We know because we go to the book of Revelation, we go to the end, and what do we see descending from, from the heavens? The, the, the angel says to John, come and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. And he beheld a city coming out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. What is a city? It's the people of God. So way, way back when Moses is writing the first five books of the Bible and God says, three times a year I'm going to cause every male to appear before me in the place that I've chosen for my name to dwell forever. That, that became known as the city of Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. That's where the sacrifice had to be made. You know why Jews don't sacrifice today? Because they can only sacrifice in the temple. And the temple has got, this is why they're all, the Jews who don't believe, they're all waiting for another temple to be rebuilt. But guess what? It's already been rebuilt. Jesus tells us in John, he says, I'll rebuild this temple in three days. And they said, you're crazy. It took 40 years to build this temple. And the scripture says, they, he did not speak. He spoke of the spirit. He spoke spiritually, speaking of his resurrection. Book of Revelation, we see in Revelation 21 and 22, in that new heaven and new earth, there was no temple. Why? Because the Lamb. Because the Lamb is the temple. There's no sun, no moon. Why? Because the Lamb is the light. So we see even way back when Moses is writing as God has given it to him, I'm going to cause every male to appear before you. This day of Pentecost was one of those feasts. And that meant that there were people there from every nation. How do we know that? Well, it says right here. Let's keep going. <clears throat> they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who gives them utterance? The Spirit gives them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Look at this. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Where were they from? From every nation under heaven. Why were they there from every nation? Because it was the Feast of Pentecost. And they were commanded to be there. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. I met a missionary from China a number of years ago. And this missionary, <clears throat> I don't know anything about Chinese, right? It, it, it's all Greek to me, actually. It's not, it's Mandarin. But uh, I had the most interesting conversation with him, and he was showing me uh, chi different Chinese characters. And do you know what the Chinese character for family or household is? It's a boat with eight mouths open. Do you know what the Chinese character for come here is? It's three crosses with the middle cross prominent of the other two. And so the, the, he showed me a bunch of others. It was fascinating. Do you know that through Jerusalem, see that, that part of the, 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 there was what was called the Silk Road. These, these were trade routes that went through Jerusalem down into Egypt, down into, you know, these, the Egyptian empire, these empires have existed. So these trade routes, there were no doubt people from China, from Asia that were there. There's no doubt about that. Those people came and traded from all over the world. It says, they heard them speak, each in his own language. There were people there from every nation under heaven. Verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each 
in our own language in which we were born. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, look at this, both Jews and proselytes. You know what a proselyte is? Both Jews and proselytes. A Jew, as, as described right here, was a physical descendant of Abraham. A proselyte is someone who is not a physical descendant of Abraham, but has adopted Judaism as their religion. Did you know that could happen? You didn't have to be an ethnic Jew in order to practice Judaism. This is what Jesus meant. We read this scripture a couple of weeks ago in, in, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, you'll travel halfway across the globe to win one proselyte and make him twice the son of hell that you are. And why were there people there from every nation under heaven? Because these were not just ethnic Jews. These were proselytes also. These were Chinese or Greek or barbarians or Scythians or whatever who had adopted Judaism. They had become proselytes. And they were keeping the law. They were in obedience to the law of Moses coming to Jerusalem to worship as God had commanded them to because it is the feast of Pentecost. So God just happened to pick a really good day to pour out his spirit. It just so happened that on that day that he poured it out, there were people there from every nation under heaven. How lucky is God? You ever notice God is the luckiest guy? I know. He does things and they just always seem to work out just right. I'm being facetious. Now, Pentecost, another interesting thing about Pentecost is this. Pentecost was, was a feast associated with the harvest. So Pentecost was when they would wave the, the, the wheat harvest. So first fruits, guess what, guess what feast Jesus was Crucified on Passover. He is our Passover. You know why God gave the feast? Not so the Jews could perpetually keep the feast. The feasts were types and shadows of who? Jesus. And the fulfillment of all of these is found in who? In Jesus. So Jesus is crucified on Passover. He's, he is our unleavened bread. He is without sin. He's crucified on Passover, guess what day he was resurrected on? First fruits. Do you know how we know Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday? Because first fruits is always, always, always on a Sunday. It always is. Now, they can debate what day Jesus was crucified on because Passover didn't have to fall on a certain day of the week, but first fruits always fell on the first day of the week following Passover. That means it was a Sunday. And the Feast of First Fruits was also a feast of harvest. It was when the barley harvest came in. In the barley harvest, they would, they would come in and they would wave the first sheave of barley, the first fruits of harvest before the Lord. Jesus was resurrected on that feast and he is called the first fruits of resurrection. You catching the symbolism? How God just worked all of this out. He, God gave all of this to Moses in the wilderness before there was a Jerusalem, before there was a temple, before any of this. Moses didn't even know what to call it. God says, just in the place I've chosen for my name to dwell forever. Guess what? The church is the new Jerusalem. You are the place God has chosen for his name to dwell forever. Now that should make us rejoice. You are the church. You are the people of God. You are the city, the bride of the Lamb. You are the place God has chosen for His name.
to dwell forever. Pentecost was a very interesting feast. Though it was associated with the harvest, it was associated with the wheat harvest. It has a much older connotation. We go all the way back to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And they come to Mount Sinai. And what did Moses do? Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the word of the Lord. He comes down with the tablets of stone that contain the Ten Commandments. That's not all Moses got from God. All of the law of Moses, where he tells you how to plow with an ox and how not to plow with an ox, how to dress and how not to dress, how to eat and how not to eat. All of, God gave all that to God, Moses just didn't make that up. God gave that to him. It's recorded in, in the first five books of the Bible there. Specifically, it's recorded in, in uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those three books record much of in, in, in Israel's dealings and how they kept and didn't keep the law and the consequences that came as a result of that. In Deuteronomy... Deuteronomy 28, God lays out the curses and the blessings that will come for keeping and not keeping the law. All that was fulfilled in Christ. But on Pentecost, when Moses was up on Sinai receiving the, the, the word of the Lord, the law from God, he comes down and he tells Israel, he said, God wants to make a covenant with you. Are you willing to make a covenant with God? And the people said, yes, we are willing to make a covenant with God. And this is where, this is when Moses says, look, draw a line there. Don't let even an animal cross that line. If you touch that mountain, you're going to die. God says, don't let them touch the mountain, Moses. Because they're unholy, I'm holy, and they need to stay back. And so God makes this covenant And it says that God spoke and the people affirmed. They said, yes, God, we will keep your covenant. And God gave them his word and they received his word and they agreed to to live according to that covenant. That, this is what Pentecost signifies. In the ancient Jewish tradition, that this isn't scripture, this is just kind of a fun little fact. We don't know if it's true or not, but here's what the, here's what the, the rabbis said. Here's what the rabbis believed. The Jewish tradition is that on that day that God gave his covenant to Israel, and as the people heard the word of the Lord and affirmed the covenant, that there appeared to each one of them, above each one of them, a cloven tongue of fire, signifying this fire that was on the mountain, God's fire, that when they affirm that, that miraculously this, I don't know if that's true or not, but here on the day of Pentecost, what does it say? There appeared above them tongues of fire, There appeared to them divided tongues of fire, as of fire, and one set upon each one of them. The old rabbis said that that happened on the day in Sinai when God gave his covenant to the nation. Whether that really happened or not, I don't know. But but this is what Pentecost is about. It's about God's people receiving the word. The covenant. How does God seal his covenant with us today? How do we know that God is going to keep his word today? How many of you have ever bought a house? Have you ever gone in to buy a house and and say, look, I'm going to buy your house. I promise I'll give you my word. What is the realtor and all the people involved going to say? Well, you seem like a nice guy, but I need more than your word. You're going to have to put some money down, some earnest money, a down payment. Listen, God didn't just give us his word. He could have just given us his word, right? But the Bible says that we are sealed. The sign of our, the sign of the covenant, the sign that God has 
truly given us his word, the sign that we have truly come into relationship, into covenant with God is God has given us what? His spirit as a guarantee, as earnest. In other words, God put his money where his mouth was. And Israel said, okay, God, we're going we're gonna to do this. Guess what? They, they disobeyed. They couldn't do it. Do you know that God knew they couldn't do it? You know God did not demand something that he thought they could expect and they just all disappointed God? Do you know that God knew not one of them was able to keep the law? He gave them a law on purpose that they could not keep. You know why? Because God wanted them to come to the realization that they needed a righteousness beyond their own righteousness. They needed a salvation beyond their own salvation. They needed something greater than themselves that they would trust in. Do you know that salvation has always been by grace? It's never been by works. Never, ever, ever, ever. It's always been by grace. Those Jews, listen, those faithful Jews who understood their salvation was in the Lord, they were not under the illusion that they were perfect people and could keep the law. They trusted in someone greater than themselves. You know why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees thought they had it within themselves to keep the law. They proved it every day as they went out. And remember, it says they made their phylacteries bigger than everybody else's. They made the borders of their garments wider than everybody else's. They prayed louder and longer prayers on the street corners than everybody else because they were proving to the world that they really were righteous men and they had God's favor. What did Jesus do? He said, you brood of vipers, you snakes. You wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy dirty. You're like a whitewashed tomb on the outside, but inside you're filled with dead men's bones. And so this day of Pentecost, when the significance is that God has sent his word. Now, who was Jesus? He was the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. Hold your place there. Let's go to John 14. Let's look at one verse. We read this last week. Let me remind you again. John 14. Look in verse... 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. He says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to pray the Father. He's going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. We are living in the day that the spirit of God doesn't just dwell with us. Listen, he's all around us. This is the omniscient God, the omnipresent God who is all around us. But he's not just all around us. He's always been all around us. From the day God said he created and and there there was darkness and void and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep and God said, let there be light. Listen, God has always been. But something has changed. Now he's not just the omnipresent God who's everywhere. He is the God who not only is with us, but he is the God who will be in us. At Sinai, God says, I'll give you my word. Will you allow my word to be in you? And Israel said, yes. But they all died. Then, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born under the law. That he might redeem us from the law. And from our sin. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But on the day of Pentecost, God sent forth his spirit now his spirit dwells within us. That's the promise of power that Jesus made. 
I will send another helper. And the provision came on the day of Pentecost. And there were people from every nation under heaven. Verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. You know, to some heard in their own language the, the disciples declaring the wonderful works of God. To others, it sounded like a bunch of foolishness and they thought they were drunk. I wonder who heard and I wonder who didn't hear. There are people today who hear what God is saying and there are other people God is speaking and it just sounds like a bunch of foolishness to them. Those crazy Christians, they're a bunch of idiots for believing in that fairy tale. Those people today are no different than those people who said they're just drunk and full of new wine. Now, the problem was you couldn't hear what God was speaking. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter quotes from the prophet Joel. Here's the commentary. Peter's telling us, Joel wrote his prophecy... Anywhere from five to six hundred years before the birth of Jesus. Five to six hundred years before the birth of Jesus, Joel prophesied this day. How do we know? Because Peter tells us. The best commentary you'll ever read is the Bible. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God. We have people today still waiting for the last days to get here. They're here. They got here 2,000 years ago, okay? Stop waiting for the last days. The last days are here right now. How do we know? Because the Bible teaches us that they are. And they've been here for 2,000 years at least. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Do you see how Joel is writing? Joel, 600 to 500 years before the birth of Christ, is saying, in those days, Peter is standing before the multitude in Jerusalem saying, this is the day right here. These are the days that Joel spoke of. And they shall prophesy, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let's let's go real quick. Hold your place in Acts. Let's go over to the book of Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. If you get the We Sing Bible song, you'll, you'll, it's the best way to learn your books of the Bible. Joel is right after Hosea, which is right after Daniel. It's one of those little bitty books, Joel is. Just three measly chapters. But boy, it's powerful. Now I just want to show you something. Verse 28 is where Peter begins, and it shall come to pass afterward. My Bible says afterward. It's a, it's a word that means afterward. It's a word that's also 
translated when, when the, the term last days, it's the same term. So it can mean afterward, it can mean last day. It means all of that, okay? But what I want to do is take you now in Joel chapter 2, and I want to show you something. Let's go up to, let's go to verse 21. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beast of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. What's interesting about that phrase, former rain faithfully, it's really talking about rain. But that Hebrew phrase there, literally translated, is teacher of righteousness. He will give you the teacher of righteousness faithfully. He will cause the rain. It's a different word for rain there. He will cause the showers to come down for you. The former rain, the teacher, and the latter rain in the first month, or the gathering rain, the the rain that comes to set the harvest. That's what the gathering rain was. The former rain and the latter rain. The former rain is what the rain that was needed for the farmer to plant his crops so the seed would take root. The latter rain was called the gathering rain. It was the rain that would set the crops so that there would be a harvest to reap. You see, do you see the the amazing picture God is giving us here? This is what Joel is prophesying five to six hundred years before Jesus. Peter is quoting Joel. He says, this is what was spoken of by the promised Joel. What came before the day of Pentecost? The teacher of righteousness came. The former rain came that set the seed that was planted in the ground so that what? So that there could be a harvest. Then he sent the gathering rain, which I believe signifies the rain of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit of God. It is by the Spirit of God, that men are drawn to the Father, that, are, that men are drawn to salvation. This is the reign of harvest. This is why Pentecost is representative of all these things. It is representative of the harvest. It is representative of the word. Of, it's representative of all of that because this is what God did when he poured out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The threshing floor, look, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat, And the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. If you read the whole book of Joel, you'll see that there's this army of locusts that have come through and they literally consumed everything. I will restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall, be ne- shall never be put to shame and it shall come to pass Afterward, after what? After the teacher of righteousness, after the former and the latter reign. Afterward, it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he goes on. 
Look at verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Here comes Jesus, the word made flesh, dwelling among us. Now he has poured out his spirit to do what? To gather a harvest. Pentecost signified the first fruits of the last harvest, the wheat harvest. The time of harvest has come. The harvest is still being gathered in. This is why Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. Why did God make the promise of power? That we would have power to do what? To showboat our gift? No. To be famous? Travel the world? No. He gave us power that we would have power to do what? To be witnesses. Witnesses where? Witnesses in your home. Witnesses at your work. Witnesses at the store. Witnesses on the street. Witnesses wherever you go. Remember, begin in your Jerusalem. Where is your Jerusalem? It's in your home. Your Jerusalem begins right in your home. Right where you live. Be a witness there. And let God take you out from there. But don't worry about reaching the ends of the world if you have not reached your Jerusalem yet. This is the mistake many people make. They forsake their Jerusalem trying to reach the ends of the world. And if you can't, if you can't save your own home and your own family and your own right there where you are, then this is the pattern. Listen, this is the biblical pattern. Jesus was very clear. He said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You just take a circle from there, you'll see exactly how Jesus said we are to witness. If you can't love your own family, how are you going to love those around you? Or John says, if you don't, if you don't love your brother, how are you going to love God? And if you do love God, how can you not love your brother? If we love God, we're going to love Jerusalem. And I'm not just talking about a city in the Middle East. I'm talking about your center, where you are. Where it all begins to flow from. The power to be witnesses. God has given us the provision of power. He made the promise. He has given us the provision. Joel 2.28 records the promise made. Acts 2 records the provision fulfilled. Now, I want you to look at something. I'm going to leave you with this, and then we're going to pick up here next week. I want you to look at something that's very significant, and we're going to talk more about this next week. We touched on it a little bit today. This is what Joel says, and Peter quotes it. Look at Acts 2.17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we're going to talk about the significance of, of, of that phrase right there. Three little words on all flesh. It's very, very important. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up there next week. Otherwise, I'd have to keep you here another 50 minutes, and I don't think y'all want me to do that. So I will be very kind and gracious, although I could just keep going, man, because this is so awesome to me. Get into the Scripture. Study the Scripture. I'm telling you what, the Word of God is so awesome. There's a reason why these references are there. Don't just, when you read, man, follow the trails. And if you get on a rabbit trail, that's okay. It'll bring you back to where you started. All, listen, all, in the word of God, all paths don't lead to God in the world, but in the Bible, all paths lead back to Jesus, okay? All the bunny trails lead you back to Jesus in the Bible. They really do. Why? Because this is what the Bible is about. It is about Christ. It's pointing you to him. It's revealing him to you. It's, it's painting a beautiful picture of Christ 
for us to see. And God, by his spirit, will open our blind eyes that we may see, our deaf ears that we can hear. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to remind you what Joel says and what Peter reaffirms. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a promise. That if you will call upon the name of the Lord, God will save you. So, well, what do I have to do, Pastor? Do just what the Bible says. Call upon his name. What if I really don't mean it? (laughs) Well... Paul expounds on this. He, 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 quotes, he quotes Joel also in his letter to the Romans. And he says, From the heart one believes or one trusts unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I can tell you all day long I'm a duck, but I'm not a duck. You confess from a heart of faith. You call upon his name from a heart of faith. I'm telling you what, God will save you. I don't care where you are, what you're doing, or what's happened in your life. I don't care how deep and dark the valley is you've been in or are in right now. If you call upon the name of the Lord from a heart of faith, God will save you. How much faith do you need? Jesus said you just need faith the size of a grain of mustard. Just Just the smallest amount of faith is what you need. The very fact that you would call upon his name I believe, signifies there is a seed of faith there and God will take that seed and he will cause it to become something great and wondrous. Amen. Father, we ask you today that you would, by your spirit, mold us and shape us, God. Lord, sometimes that's a painful process. Lord, we been talking about in our Bible study on Sunday morning about being refined as gold in the fire. And Lord, being refined and having uh, those things removed from us that are contrary to the nature that we have now come to possess by faith in Christ. Your nature. Lord, that can be a painful process. But Father, if we will, if we will look beyond the process, if we will look to what your end is, what your purpose is in all of this, that you would try us and test us and refine us, even as as gold in the fire. God, you have something beautiful. You have something wonderful. You have something that's of eternal value. Help us, God, not to focus on the fire and the trial, but help us, God, to rejoice in that, understanding what that is producing in us even as Paul writes to us in Romans 5. God, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you don't make empty promises, that in Christ you have given us the provision of power. You have given us the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we can walk in and live in and move in the fullness of power because you have made provision for that. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, to trust you, to resist the temptation to exalt ourselves and allow you in your time, God, to lift us up as we are humbled under your mighty hand. Bless your people, God. Bless them with ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts and minds that can receive. Be glorified in your church, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.